Hi, I'm Millie Thomas, an eating disorder recovery coach. We've created this podcast to raise awareness about all types of eating disorders and help dispel some of the many myths and stigma that unfortunately still surround them. It's hard for me to pinpoint where and when my eating disorder began. It feels like it's like a drug. You know it's bad because you know like this is hurting me but it somehow makes you feel like you're doing something right. He just couldn't sense that I was hopeless. You get to that point where you just you just don't know what to do. This is the End Eating Disorders podcast brought to you by Lockaway Self Storage and Podspot. I began rereading my diaries and actually it enabled me to grieve for the little girl that got horribly lost and I just wanted to take her hand and help her get get out of that terribly dark forest that she was lost in for so many years. You're enough, you're more than enough, and you will always be enough. My eating disorder started at seven. It's been a long and at times slow process. <sighs> the eating disorder's in charge, and your daughter's not there. There is hope at endad.org.au. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I am joined today by the amazing Kelly, and today we're going to talk a little bit about Kelly's journey with her eating disorder and about the impact that recovery coaching has had on her journey. So thank you so much for joining me today, Kels. It's so lovely to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Mills. It's very, very special because we've had we've we've shared so so much together, and part of what we you know we talked about um, when you were unwell was you coming out the other side and doing recovery coaching and us sitting here doing things like that yeah. so it almost feels still a little bit surreal that we're here doing it's it kind of goosebumps it's like a bit of a dream come true really like it's a bit yeah very surreal yeah very yeah. very cool yeah so to give our listeners a bit of an insight into into you and yep. your journey do you want to give yep. them a little bit of an overview yep. um of of your eating disorder journey yep absolutely um so my eating disorder journey lasted about 16 years Um, I was diagnosed at 13 years old um, and I went through kind of varying stages of being unwell. Uh, When I was about 21, uh, I was hospitalised for the first time um, and I started a really kind of, I guess, a very steep journey downwards um, with my eating disorder and I was hospitalised a bunch of times. I was hospitalised for the first time in Sydney and I went through a bunch of hospitalisations kind of through until I was 28 years old. I, in the middle of that, decided I would pack up my life and kind of run away and move to London where I thought my eating disorder wouldn't follow me too. Surprise, it followed me to London as well. I couldn't escape it. Things got very bad over there. Um, that's when I first found Millie. I'd been following Millie on Instagram for a long time. Um, and I kind of just got to a point where I was like, well, I'm living in London. I think I'm just going to die over here. I don't think I'm ever going to get better. I don't even think I really want to get better. Um, I don't want to go home. I'm just, you know, this is kind of it for me. I did reach out to Millie and I can't really remember what I first said to her, but I remember she... You, you reached out and you said to me, you said, I know that you probably can't help me, but I just wanted to let you know, you know, that, that you've ins- you inspire me or, yeah. or something along those yeah. lines. Yeah. And I was just like, 
Amazing. Right. You're <laughs> never going to get rid of me now. I am going to help you to get well. Stuck with her ever since. Yeah, I remember that because I remembered you messaged me back pretty quickly. Um, and that kind of started our journey together. Um, so that was probably like, what, like 14 years into my eating disorder kind of journey. And once I found you, I remember we worked together kind of daily. Um, and that kind of led to bringing me home. Um, which was a massive thing. Once I got home, you guys kind of discovered how unwell I was. Yeah, and it, it wasn't good, which then quickly led into an emergency kind of room visit, which then led into um, not getting really out of hospital mm. visit and kind of just I definitely lost hope at that point. I definitely had given up. I had definitely just decided like I felt really – just very disheartened. I felt very, this was just it. I'm never getting better. I was kind of told by, you know, the medical professionals that I wasn't getting better. I was kind of like a lost cause. Everything had betrayed on me. From here, you know, we, we don't know what else to do with her. She's, yeah, like she's... Such a damaging rhetoric, isn't it? And we yeah. both had that. It's, it's yeah. such a like parallel in our journeys. We both got told that. And it's something that really does strip any hope that you scare up of hope that you had left. Because it's kind of like in your head, you have those thoughts, right? Like you have those thoughts in your head of like, I am a lost cause. I don't think I'm it. Like it's been a long time that I've been suffering from this. It's all I know. I like I, I in my head, that was confirmed in my head already. But to hear a medical professional say to you and say to your family, you know, that's like, why are you still, why are you still supporting her? Like, why are you wasting your time on her? She's not getting better. In my head, I was like, yep, it's, it's true. Like it's, you know, they're not, not speaking the truth. Like it's, yeah, cool. Well, this is it for me. Thankfully, Millie and my parents didn't really take that as, you know, didn't accept that basically. Not at all. Nope. <laughs> and that started a very, I don't know how to word, like a big campaign almost. Yeah, it was. To That's get Kelly out of hospital. Of yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like a big campaign to get Kelly out of hospital and they did. Um, it was a massive fight. It was a bit messy at times, but they got me out and I – started the motions of recovering and that brings me I had one more hospitalization after that out of choice um, and that was like a team decision that I just needed a bit of extra support and I was like okay I trust my team like I have to do what they say so I did that and I would say I found myself kind of accidentally just recovering and then that brings me to today where I'm fully recovered from my eating disorder. I'm so excited. I am <laughs> beyond proud of you because you have, you had to work so, diff, you know, so hard oh. to get to where you are and you have just, um, I mean, you're just glowing and you've blossomed and I could not be uh, more excited for you mm. about what's going to come next because yeah. I know that you just have this real drive in you to, to use your story to help others, which yeah. I know that you will. And I know that you already are yeah. um, just, you know, sharing your experiences and, yeah. and stuff like that. And it, yeah. it's amazing. You truly, truly yeah. are amazing. Thank you. Um, so for people who, who don't really know what it's like to have an eating disorder, could yeah. you sort of describe what you feel? what it feels like sort of mentally, physically, spiritually to yeah. have an eating disorder day in and day out. Yeah. For me, it was like 
I talk about now like finding out who Callie really is because for most of my life I didn't know who Callie was because something else had control of my body. It was like I would talk about times where I wouldn't even really remember a few hours of the day like example dinner I'd be making dinner I it would be a blur and it would be like something else took over my body and made me not I'm not going to say made me but kind of took over and drove me to do these behaviors and to do all of these things and that just became my day-to-day life of something else controlling my body and myself just feeling just very inherently wrong very inherently just not really human like just unable to function and you yeah. you said that that developed quite young didn't yes. you you know I mean yeah was it about six or seven that you said that you started to f- about four okay. I would say I think f- I remember being four years old and just feeling inherently wrong in my body just like it didn't belong to me like it was just something that was shameful Mm. Yeah, and, but that didn't at that time morph into an eating disorder. No, but that it was sort of almost like the groundwork was yeah. being laid in a way. Yeah, it was like yeah, from four. Yeah, it was yeah, groundwork. It was. It was like from four until when I was diagnosed. It was. I would say it wasn't an eating disorder, but it was definitely severe body dysmorphia, severe like comparison, severe perfectionism, severe worthlessness. I felt like I did not belong anywhere. Like I was so worthless compared to everyone else. And I needed to do absolutely everything in my power to make myself better. So over the years, you'd tried myriads of different Mm. treatments (laughs) and therapies (laughs) and different sort of approaches. Yeah. And so what impact did, I guess, having a recovery coach have for you on your recovery? And how was that different to say anything else that you'd done in the past yeah so I feel like having somebody who understood me having somebody and now I was very lucky that we just clicked um, from the very beginning we had a connection and I'm so grateful for that because having somebody who got me and having somebody who understood the thoughts I had around myself and the thoughts I had around food and had walked it before, I trusted you. I knew that when you told me something, you weren't just saying it to, in my head when, you know, a therapist or somebody would tell me to do something, I'd be like, they're trying to destroy me. They're trying to hurt me. Whereas you, you'd done it before. So when you told me to do something, yeah, the thoughts of like, no, she's lying to you. She's, you know, she's trying to destroy you. We're there. But then I could kind of intercept that and be like, well, no, like she's been told that in the past as well. She's done that. So I'll try it because I can trust her. So for me, recovery coaching just gave me somebody who understood me um, and somebody who was there for me. My gosh, like 24 <laughs> seven. And and that is a real difference, isn't it? Because it's like there are no, you know, office hasn't, and we know that eating disorders don't just operate (laughs) within nine to five. They go to sleep like days a week. Exactly. You know, there were times where, you know, just simple things. Like I remember 
every morning I would message Millie and be like, I don't know what to wear today. And we'd have a big texting conversation about what I would wear that day. And that was, you know, that sounds silly, but that was a big, big thing for me was getting dressed and to have somebody to just kind of reassure me and just kind of be like, it's okay. Like you don't have to look perfect all the time. You don't have to, you know, it's okay. Just put on what's comfortable. Like just to go through it with me and make choices with me. Um, It just, it really settled kind of the thoughts a little bit. Like the thoughts were there, but it just kind of calmed it a little bit for, you know, that little bit of time. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I understood why you know that most of the people yeah. would be like why is it a big deal yeah you know, what you're going to wear but yeah. I understand that from like you know a body dysmorphia yeah. perspective etc cetera, etc cetera. and I think having you know as you say that lived experience element is yep. just so crucial because oh. you know yep. that to get it so you don't have to explain yourself yep. because you know inherently and I think that implicit trust piece oh. yep. is so so important because your eating disorder can make you doubt every everybody but if you can sort of hand on heart go well hang on yeah she's walked the path as well yeah she knows and she's got no ulterior motive here yeah exactly other than to help me to get out the other side of this that's it because it was even like you know bless my family they were amazing throughout my entire journey my parents were incredible but in my head it was kind of like I was convinced that they were out to get me as well. You know, mum's trying to destroy me. Mum's trying to, mum's threatening my eating disorder and she's trying to destroy my life. Whereas you having a recovery coach, I knew that you weren't trying to destroy my life because you, you've done it before. So it was like, you could kind of just like logically, I'm a very logical person. So when you come at me with logic, it was like, that just made sense. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I, I also remember, you know, vividly there were times where you, you know, around food things mm. and mm. you being out somewhere <laughs> and like, and did you, you found that to be helpful to, oh. so that you could then really sort of overcome those, those voices and absolutely make those challenges happen? Absolutely. Like I remember a few times, you know, when we'd go out to lunch, even just, It was like, again, logically, I knew kind of what I needed to have. I knew what I needed to order. But when you go up there to do it, logic goes out the window, you know, trigger comes in. And just to even have you, like, I know that like sometimes you would stand up there and just hold my hand. And it was just like the feeling of your hand in my hand just kind of brought me back down a little bit and just kind of, it was like that really like almost tactile thing that like, okay, I've got like, I'm holding Millie's hand. It's okay. Like I can make this choice. I can make the right choice. And even through, you know, eating the meal, it would be, you know, you would reach off, like just put your hand on my, on my leg. And it was just like, okay, just that touch, like just reminded me what I'm doing, what I'm doing it for and that I'm okay, that I'm safe. You know, someone's got me and I'm not going to just be left to fumble around after I've eaten this scary thing, um, somebody was going to support me. And that was huge. Um, and I remember, I always remember grilled. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> yes. I remember that. Um, I think, did I message you? Or did I, I'd frantically call you. I can't remember. I think I just texted you. I was like, Millie, I want this burger, but I don't know if I can have it. So I'm thinking I might get this burger or this one. Oh, should I get this one? And it just kept like, and you're like, okay, let's just talk about this logically. Like, what does Callie want? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and it just 
spun out a little bit, but you were able to bring me back down and make the right choice. Yeah, and you ended up having a burger. I think you had fries as well in the end. Yeah, and a drink. And a drink. <laughs> well, well <laughs> we just, nailed that. I don't we? do things in halves. <laughs> but and then, but you know, and it was a point in that after that as well, you were there. And I think this is the thing too, yeah. isn't it? It's the lead up and it's the afterwards. And yeah. even if, you know, um, you know, a coach can't physically be there, it's that accountability piece. Yeah. I mean, I, you used to send me, yeah. you know, your snacks and your meals and yeah. things like that so that yeah. there was that accountability of like, well, Mel's expecting me to yeah. send it. And, and it's, I think, really important to then be able to have someone that you can reach out to mm. if afterwards you are having a meltdown about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And someone who you don't have to explain your meltdown to. Yep. Is, and you just someone's it. not going to question it. They're yep. just going to be like, absolutely, let's, you know, talk this through. And I think a big element for me, and I think a lot of people, is feeling like you're in trouble or feeling like, you know, if I don't do the right thing, if I don't have a particular snack or if I don't, you know, I fail something, I'm going to get in trouble. But when you have somebody who gets that and you can just, like I just felt like I could be honest and be like, huh, I actually didn't have that or I couldn't do that. It wasn't like, oh my God, like you're, you know, you're in trouble now. It was like, okay, well, why? Like, let's talk through that then. And I think that's a big thing because a lot of, I guess, people will go to, you know, a dietitian or whatever. And like, you can feel like you're in trouble. Um, Whereas, you know, on the spot, you can talk to your recovery coach and, you're like, oh, okay, like it's okay, let's just talk about it rather than berate you for it. Absolutely. And I remember yeah. at the beginning, you know, we had that discussion around um, honesty mm. and transparency yep. and trust because yep. I said to you that this is only going to work if you're yep. 100% honest. Oh, I will be 100% yep. honest with you. Yep. You've got to be 100% honest with me because yep. I can only work with the information that I've got. Yep. Um, and I think that it, it is really, really important to feel like you can confide in someone and say, hey, here's the real deal. Here's what's happening because yep. you're only kidding yourself and you know sabotaging your recovery yep. by yep. not being honest. And I think that was key for me, wasn't it? Like the moment I kind of was just like, okay, I'm going to be 100% honest with you, with my parents, with yeah. my psychologist and my dietitian. I'm going to, no matter what I do, I just have to be honest. That's, I think, was the key for me of getting better and realising I wasn't going to get in trouble when I was honest. Um, I think that was a big thing. Absolutely. And I also think, you know, there was a point there where you really realized that you had to take that steering wheel away from the eating disorder. Yeah. You had to be in control of that car. Yeah. Yeah. And you really took ownership of your recovery. And and you yeah. realize that, oh, I actually have to be the one to do this. Yeah. I can have all the help in the world. Yep. And I can have people checking on me yep. and all of that. But yep. I actually have to commit. Yep. Um, you know, it's like my three C's, that conscious, consistent commitment. It's like yeah. I have to do that every moment of every day if I want to get out the other side of this. Absolutely. And it is every moment on every day. And, you know, I lived alone as well. So I could have very easily just lived alone and done what my eating disorder wanted to do, nobody would know. Oh, well, except you, you had know. me. <laughs> and I think people would know, but, you know, like yeah. I, I could, like I could have lied. I could have, you know, my eating disorder could have taken over and I could have done things that got, like I would have, you know, I wouldn't say it would never have served me. It wouldn't have never, you know, I'd be still unwell if I did that. And I think that was the thing that 
I had to do it because at the end of the day, I had to get up by myself and I had to feed myself breakfast. I had to feed myself morning tea. I had to feed myself lunch, so on and so on. And yeah, totally like it was invaluable, the support that I had around me. But yeah, I had to take the wheel and do it despite how horrible it felt and just keep doing it even though it felt worse and worse every time. And I think this is the thing, isn't it? It's so hard in recovery because everybody says, you know, well, you'll start to feel better, oh, and but you feel you don't. worse <laughs> before you start to feel better. Yeah, and this yeah. is where we see that oscillation and yep. that sort of yo-yoing um, yep. in pseudo-recovery because yep. you do feel worse yep. at first and then it's about pushing through that, almost that glass ceiling in a way. And it's like how often do you hear people say like, if this is what recovery is, I don't want it because it feels horrible. I feel like I'm more depressed. I feel even more self-conscious. I feel like I'm just more anxious. Like, And it's like, well, yeah, you have to for a while and you're going to. It's going to be really extreme for a while. Yeah. Like how many times was I sitting on my psychologist's couch with you next to me just bawling my eyes out going like, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> like I can't do another day. Like this is horrible. I'm not sleeping. I'm not, you know, but you just have to. And eventually, yeah, it does definitely get better. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think I know that you'd said to me that a lot of the time knowing that, you know, I'd felt, I had felt similar yeah. um, to oh, you in terms yeah. of that feeling of hopelessness. And, yeah. and you said, I just keep going, right? Some stage I'll be able to yeah. to be out there living living life free. Yeah. yeah. Um, to have somebody say to you, like, because I would say to you every day, like, Millie, I can't do this. Like, Millie, I'm so tired. Like, I'm so, you can't believe how tired I am. And you'd be like, no, well, I can believe it <laughs> because I remember it. And it's to me, it was like, oh, okay. And for you then to be like, I remember it, but like, if you keep going eventually, not tomorrow, not in a month, not, you know, however long, but eventually it gets that bit better. And like, eventually you get to where I am. And I was like, okay, <laughs> all right, <laughs> here we go. Let's again. keep going then. <laughs> and I know that that was very, very, um, a similar for the body acceptance mm, as my well goodness, yeah because we had I'll never forget that day Ooh. in the hospital <laughs> where you point blank told me yep. that there is no way that you will ever weigh <laughs> um that much and oh. yeah and I remember mum had brought up photos I was gonna say we were looking at photos, photos as well I will never go back to being like get that. those away from me <laughs> you were very very vehemently opposed and I was just quietly trying to get through to you it was like something else was talking through me. Well, it was. It was, it was anorexia <laughs> coming terrifying. through. Coming through very, very strong. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you were able to eventually yeah. understand that, hey, you are worth so much more than your body. Yeah. And it's really the least interesting thing about you. Literally. And to, to make that switch, I think, was it was so amazing to watch you switch from focusing on your body's appearance to yeah. focusing on its function. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so do you want to just give us a little bit of an insight into that? Because I think that's yeah. one of the most beautiful parts yeah. of your journey is because yeah. you really have embraced that. I 100% agree. The biggest one of the, I think, yeah, the thing that really cemented my recovery for me when was when I was able, allowed to start doing physical activity. Um, and then I found weights and I found CrossFit basically. 
And I transitioned to finding out what my body could do and found out that when I fueled myself adequately, when I was, you know, a good weight for myself for what I was doing, that I could lift some heavy things and I could do some crazy things in a gym. And for me, that was just like, wow, I don't care what my body looks like anymore because my body is letting me do some incredible things. Um, And to me, that was just, I think that was like the icing and that was the thing that just got me over the edge. And I remember like, you know, from starting like, and I would just keep putting on weight and keep putting on weight. And I remember just thinking, I don't care. I don't care because I'm doing what I love. Like I'm doing really cool stuff and, you know, I'm feeling my body to do this really cool stuff. So if my body's going to be gaining weight, my body's changing like massively, but this body is letting me do what I love. So I don't care. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah. <laughs> Gives me goosebumps thinking about it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think it was, it, it, there were just so many things. I mean, you clearing out your wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> ripping those jeans. Yeah. All of yeah. those things. And just really embracing it and realizing that, hey, yeah. if I want to live the life that I want to live, I'm going to have to give up this ideal that yeah. I've got in my head of, of being tiny. Of what my body is supposed to look like. It's like... Yeah, like I remember telling you the day that I went over that weight that we, you know, yes. spoke about in hospital that I was, yes. if you let me get over that weight, Millie and mum, I'm, that's it, I'm done. And like I'm over that weight now, like I don't even know how much anymore, but I remember that day and I was just like, just giggled to myself. I was just like, oh, wow, all right, cool, that's happened. <laughs> now to keep going. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I mean, did it help having sort of role models in your life that had mm. been through, yeah. you know, different experiences and, and had embraced their bodies and yeah. weren't obsessed yeah. and, you know, were just happily active, engaging in activity because yep. they felt like they wanted to. And absolutely. Like I remember first, when I was first kind of allowed to start doing physical activity, I was going to Pilates with you to begin with. And I yeah. won't say that I loved Pilates. No, but it was a face. And, and that was like something you wouldn't have been allowed to no. do anything if you hadn't been able to go with Absolutely a recovery not. coach and do Absolutely it. Absolutely not. So, I mean, that was another really it was. Great. It was really beautiful to be like, A, to be able to go with you and yeah. kind of just, you love it. And it was really cool for me to see you doing something you loved, like something physical that you loved. And because in my head, it was like when you go from not being allowed to do anything at all to just being, you know, and to watching other people doing things just because they like doing it rather than changing their body or to burn off calories or to, you know, it was just like a, that was a bit of a shift in my head. So that was really cool. And then when I was allowed to start doing CrossFit, it was really cool to look around the gym and see all these really strong women that were doing crazy stuff and like their bodies were nothing like what my ideal body is meant to look like they were much bigger they were much musclier they were these like you know these super women and I was just like oh but nobody's like nobody's noticing that like nobody's like nobody cares like oh okay cool like 
it doesn't matter. <laughs> so yeah, definitely. It's like a revelation, isn't it? When you realize, oh, everybody else is just getting on with their lives yeah. and nobody's actually overanalyzing or, no. you know, yeah. thinking about what I, what I look like. I oft, I love yeah. um, often doing with clients, and I think we did it together too, was mm. like, what would, do you want people to be saying at your funeral? Like, yeah. do you want, <laughs> no one's going to stand up and go, oh, well, she had a great oh, that Kelly. <laughs> you know, she was good. She, she didn't eat lunch, you know, with me that time. Yeah, no. like, she was a hoot to be around. Exactly, no, exactly. Yeah. And really, you know, recognising that, hey, life is short. Mm. And what yep. do we want to be remembered for? What, yeah. you know, what difference do we want to make in the world? And yep. I think realising that when you are well-nourished <laughs> um, and rested. Crazy can, that. Yeah, crazy right yeah you can achieve so so Uh, much more you can yeah like it's just it's beyond like I always throughout my entire journey I've always in my head just thought it was like I just thought like I just didn't need food like I didn't need food to go to university I didn't need food to study I didn't need food to learn things I didn't need food to exercise I didn't need food to have friends like I you know other people do totally (laughs) you know other people around me definitely need food to do all that stuff I'm definitely different. I don't need food. Like I'm fine doing things without food. And it's just like, oh gosh, now like if I go, my goodness, like two hours without food, I'm like, I can't function. Like I need to get something in so I can continue studying, so I can continue, you know, doing what I'm doing. Um, And it's just completely, yeah, like amazing what you can do. (laughs) Yeah. And it is funny though, isn't it? It's like a 360 sometimes and I'm similar in terms of, like if I really want food, I'm hungry. Like you want it. <laughs> yeah. And I often remember yeah. in my eating disorder thinking like, what are these people that just like can't do without it? Like, come on, like seriously. Like, yeah. like what? Like you get hungry? Like you, mm. you know, like. And it's those, all those years that we managed to, to go for so long without. And now it's like. It's insane. Hey, yeah. like, because now it is literally like, I have to get out of bed and eat straight away. I have to like you know, consistently. And it's like, how did I ever do what I wanted to do? I didn't do what I wanted to do. That was a thing, but yeah, I could never do what I was doing now. (laughs) Well, and I also think, I think it's a testament to the power of the mind. It's, and, and the fact, I think, you know, and this is why I'm so big about the fact that we can change our brains. Yeah, definitely. And it doesn't matter. I mean, we, we are both testament to the fact that it doesn't matter how long or how hard you've suffered with an eating disorder for, you can fully recover and you can change your brain. You don't have to deal with it for the rest of your life. You don't have to sit in pseudo recovery. You can fully kind of really make that switch and embrace life in all its facets and capacity. Yeah, totally. Like I remember so many times sitting in pseudo recovery and just being like, I can't recover. Like this is, I just have to kind of manage like this for the rest of my life. You know, I'm too far gone. I'm too, you know, this is just it. This is just it. And totally my brain has changed. Like I, and you know, you have to do the hard work for it to change and you have to consistently teach it, you know, a new habit. You have to consistently teach it that this is actually fact. This is actually, you know, the way things need to be done. This is actually, you know, you have to keep doing that. And I think that's repetitive every single day. Definitely you can change it. And like I've always said, you know, recovery is not for everybody. But that's completely changed now. Um, it is for everybody because we're sitting here and we've done it. Like we've completely changed our brains. We've completely yeah. recovered. And we were never back when we were unwell. That was never a thing that we thought was mm. possible. So Absolutely. Do yeah. you think that making that kind of switch, as you said, you'd always got to that space of pseudo recovery. Mm, yeah. 
you think it helped having a recovery coach to really make that push into full recovery yeah. because those fears that you had that were preventing you from going from pseudo to full, yeah. you had someone kind of as living, breathing proof? I think it really helped because I think whenever I reached pseudo recovery, I kind of just considered myself, you know, doing okay. And I don't really, you know, I didn't need to be in hospital. I didn't need, you know, 24 seven care. I didn't, I could work, I could do this. But having somebody who was like, no, you're still like, that's not okay. That's not a way to live and kind of model to me how not okay that was and how- I was pretty adamant about what I was like, no. Yeah. You you deserve more than this. Even when I lived in London, right? Like I remember I I was very adamant about when you lived in London. Because I was like, this is fine. This is fine. Like I'm working, I'm, you know, (laughs) and it was just like- You were existing. Oh, barely. Yes. Yeah, definitely to have somebody who pushed me further than that. And, you know, I remember my last hospitalization in June last year, July last year, June, July last year. I think I'd kind of reached that like midpoint. I kind of reached that pseudo kind of point. I still had weight to gain. I still had, you know, still wasn't quite there. Um, I was doing better, sure. But my, you know, my medical, everything was okay. But I still was unwell. Like I still yeah, was. Cognitively, you still, yeah. Yeah, like I was still suffering and I was still so tired. Like I remember that was probably when I was the most tired. And you guys were just like, okay, well, let's consider something to push you further because you need to keep pushing because this is not how where we're stopping. We're not stopping here. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like, please, <laughs> like, can we just have a little break? And you were like, no. Like you're not having a little break because you saw in me. Um, I remember you saying very, very regularly, like how much you saw in me, how much you felt similar, you know, like my journey or the way that I felt was similar to how you felt. And I think you saw that I could go further and sure did. you pushed me to go further. And I think without that, you know, maybe I, like I, I would have maybe eventually gotten there, but I feel like I progressed very quickly in like those next few months and I feel like that's why yeah. because I got to that point but you pushed it <laughs> you I pushed, pushed the point <laughs> <laughs> once I'm on board I'm not gonna Oof. stop I'm a little bit relentless was, she got really annoying sometimes <laughs> <laughs> really leave me alone hey but look where you are now <laughs> oh I'm so like I yeah like I'm glad that you annoyed the absolute bejeebus out of me <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely yeah, yeah. do you think that in an ideal world, mm. if everyone could have access to a reco- – everyone who is, you know, mm. affected by an eating disorder and, 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 yeah. and recovery could have access to a recovery coach, yeah. that, that would be valuable? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think in all areas of kind of mental illness, having somebody who gets what you've been through, having – I think lived experience especially is just absolutely invaluable. I think there needs to be such a big representation of it within all mental health um, I think that's the way forward for every mental illness um, and eating disorder specifically. Um, I think if, yeah, definitely, if everyone could have a lived experience recovery coach, my goodness, like I think the rates of recovery will just like shoot up because yeah. without it, I feel like you're just a bit lost and you don't see, you can't really, you don't have it modeled to you what your life could be like. Yeah. What? is the most valuable thing mm. that um, you learned from me? 
Oh. Um, if you could pick one thing. <laughs> I remember one of the most valuable things you ever got me to do was dream. And dream about what my life could be like. Dream about if I didn't have an eating disorder. Dream. I remember you got me a book um, when I was in hospital. You make me cry. <laughs> I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was the most valuable thing I've ever done. I've still got that. And I still like, because when I, I remember just going crazy with it. Like I remember just being like, this is never going to happen. Like I'm just going to write a story basically. Um, I like writing. So I was like, I'll just get creative. But now it it's come, it's my story. Like it's like I had written my story now back when I was in hospital. And I think that was probably the most, one of the most valuable things. Yeah. Like just dream. Um, and that can actually come true. 100% yeah. it can. Yeah. Proof. Yeah. Um, <laughs> A couple of other things that I just want to ask you yeah. um, before we finish up. And one of them is what, in your opinion, mm-hmm. um, is the best way that, you know, people can support someone mm. who's going through an eating disorder? What did you yeah. find helpful? Yeah. Look, I don't think anybody, unless you've been through it, could ever really understand um, what it's like to suffer from an eating disorder. Um, it's, I think a lot of people, like to a lot of people, it's it's a bit weird. Like it's a bit like what? Like you, like it's, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Because well, it's not logical. It makes absolutely no yeah. sense to even me. Exactly, like, exactly. And it's like, yeah. So I think one of the biggest things that people can do for a loved one or, you know, a friend or whatever is just be there. Like it's just, just listen to them. Just, you know, be the person that if they are having a freak out, learn how to bring them back down. I think if you have a loved with an eating disorder, you need to learn, like you need to educate yourself. I think education is massive. Um, And I think that you need to make the effort to educate yourself. You'll never get it. But if you can learn how to cope with having somebody around you with an eating disorder, that's going to be absolutely just so beneficial to them just to even learn how to deal with them when they're having a freak out around food or, you know, any kind of scenario, learn how to be able to support them and love them. Like just absolutely smother them with love because they, they, <laughs> they don't have a lot of love within them. So if they can get it externally, yeah. um, I think that's just so, yeah, so important. Yeah. The power of love. It's, it's, yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Love yeah. and hope, I think, too. Yeah, always hold hope for them. Yeah, definitely remind them always that there's hope, you know, <laughs> like. Because I, I, yeah. I think, you know, we both felt that that was huge, that our parents held that for us, even yeah. when we felt hopeless. Oh, to never have some, to have somebody who was never like, I remember yelling at them, I'm like, just give up on me. Like, what are mm. you doing? Like, mm. why, why are you just why are you consistently yeah. just pushing yeah. this? Can you just leave just me alone? Go. Just let me go, please. And it's just, they never did. Yeah. And I think, you know, they made a lot of mistakes, but they always did that. And they always, you know, endeavoured to educate themselves. And I think you're going to make mistakes. You're, you're going to say the wrong thing sometimes. You're going to get angry. You're going to get frustrated. You're a human being as well. But yeah, like just always hold the hope show them you're never leaving. Um, and I think, yeah, that's, it's very important. And look after yourself. Yeah. 
I think that's, that's something that's so like huge. Yeah, like I just remember begging mum to go get a massage or something. Mm, <laughs> like, mm. go do something for yourself as well. That's important. Yeah, otherwise you're going to burn out, and you're no help to them. Then absolutely, I always say to um to carers that you know mm. self care isn't selfish; it is self preservation, yeah. and yep. it's that whole you've got to put your own oxygen mask mask on yeah. first. Yeah, and like I understand totally. Like your loved one, you know your son, daughter, friend, partner is suffering. And it's like, I can never leave their side. I can never, it's like, it's important to, like it's important to fill your cup each day. Absolutely. Finally, Mm. what words of wisdom would you like to give anybody that's still out there um, in the trenches, as I like to say, um, struggling? What what words of wisdom have you got for them, Kels? Yeah. Um, I think it's to hold on when it feels like, you can't keep going. So when I spoke about before, like I can't keep going, I'm more depressed, I'm more anxious, I feel worse from doing the things that are conducive to recovery. That's normal. You're going to feel all of those things very extremely and it's in those moments that you need to just keep going anyway and disobeying the eating disorder voices anyway and that's when you'll reach recovery. Yeah. That is, I love that advice. And I do remember, I think, <laughs> saying something along those lines yeah, and maybe. you sort of looking at me and going, oh, yeah, whatever. Cool, Mel. Like, leave just me alone. Please stop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why aren't you leaving me either? <laughs> oh, Cal, yeah. it's been so, so amazing to, to sit here and, and talk about this. And I think- So cool. Yeah, and mm. it's reflecting on something that is actually- it happened not so long ago, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you have just come yeah. such a long way and you are absolute testament to the power of, you know, really committing yeah. to recovery. Yeah. And it has been an absolute <laughs> privilege to have, you know, have been able to, to walk alongside you on your yeah. journey to freedom and to see you, <laughs> no, seriously, darling, to see you blossoming yeah. now is just, it just makes me so, so incredibly happy. And I cannot wait to have you <laughs> as one of my colleagues. I so, like, just give me another year. <laughs> we'll, we'll be there. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah. thank you from the bottom of my heart. You're amazing. Thank you so much. So are you. <laughs> this is the End Eating Disorders Podcast. Brought to you by Lockaway Self Storage and Podspot. Your financial support will save lives. Donate at ended.org.au. I always used to think, like, how can people not hear what's going on in my head? <laughs>